Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And sometimes it just, as the preacher, it feels like you're quenching the spirit when you have to start preaching. It's not a good feeling to have, you know what I mean? Two men went to the church to pray. The first man feels like he's arrived. He sits behind his big fancy desk. He has the picture-perfect life. On the wall is his picture-perfect diploma next to a picture of his picture-perfect wife with his picture-perfect wife and his picture-perfect kids and his picture-perfect dog and his picture-perfect white picket fence. He has the picture-perfect life. This man has his diploma stating that he's finished his degree in theology. He has a few thousand followers on his YouTube account. He has many, many thousands of followers on his social media accounts. He feels like he's impacting the world for his kingdom. He has a fairly large church that he leads every week in prayer, and he leads every month in communion, and he leads every week in the word, the study of God's word, and he's amassed this great big ministry, and this man goes to the church to pray. There's a second man who goes to the church. This guy's a politician. Let me hear some booze. Now, there's some great politicians, all right? There's some great politicians, but this guy's a politician. He's well known for being in the back corner of the steakhouse with a kind of poorly lit table, eating a medium rare steak, shaking hands behind the scenes, taking a bribe, pocketing the money, but he knows what he's doing is wrong. He's compromised his morality, he's compromised his ethics, he's compromised his life in order to do what he feels is necessary for his politicking to continue, for the government to continue, for things to keep going on as they've always gone on. And he reasons, he, he excuses within his mind, and he says, if I don't do this, the next guy will. And this guy shows up to the temple to pray, shows up to the church to pray. Which of these two men do you feel the Lord is going to listen to? Because the answer might surprise you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 this morning. As we look at the actual parable that Jesus shared concerning these two men, this is maybe what I gave you as a modern day retelling of this parable, just so you can understand what this would be like. But let's read this parable beginning in verse 9, if you will with me. Luke chapter 18 Verse 9, he says this, it says this, he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, that I'm not an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified 
rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever it is that will humble himself shall be exalted. Modern day retelling the pastor and the politician. Who do you think is going to be able to get their prayers to break through the ceiling and reach the heavens and to reach the actual throne of God? See, from the outside looking in these two men's lives, they couldn't have been any different. They couldn't have seemed any different. One was the epitome of righteousness and religion in the culture and in the society. And the other one was the epitome of someone who was being despised. The basest, the worst of the culture. And yet it was the worst of the culture whose prayers were actually truly heard by God. And it's all because of the attitude that they brought when they came into the presence of the Lord. And so this morning, before we even take and we tear this section of Scripture apart, I want you to consider for yourselves just for a moment, what heart have you brought here this morning? God is looking down from his throne, and he sees through the ceiling and through the rafters and through these clouds and through the lights, and he sees your heart where you sit this morning. What is he looking at? What kind of heart have you brought to him today? Because that's what God is looking for. He's looking for the heart. Look at this again. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. A parable. The word is a compound word in the Greek. And it's taken from two words. One, para, which means alongside of or with. And boli, which means to cast. And so literally what parable means, it's a story that is cast alongside. It's a simple story that is thrown out or cast alongside of a bigger story to illustrate a spiritual truth. And so Jesus spoke in these parables. He was a master storyteller. Whenever he had an audience, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see whenever there was an opportunity for him to tell a story, to captivate a heart, to grab someone's heart and to say, listen, you need to really truly seek your own heart and figure out whether or not you're right with God. He would do it. And so he tells this story, but it's not really about these two men. You understand that, don't you? It's a small story to illustrate a bigger truth. You know what this story is about, don't you? The story is about you. This story is about your heart and where you are at this morning. He tells this parable to those who trusted in themselves. See, the religious leaders were around. They were like a magnet drawn to Jesus. And so were the masses of people, the common folk, those like the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. They were there as well. But these religious people just couldn't get enough. They kept waiting and watching to see if Jesus would trip or fall up. They were waiting for an opportunity to disprove what he was saying and who he claimed to be. They just couldn't help but be there. And Jesus sees all of these religious people gathered around, and he takes the opportunity. And this parable that he spoke was addressed more to the religious people than it was to the people like the tax collectors and the sinners, you see. He says he told this parable to those who trusted in themselves. I wonder if that might be where you're at this morning. Are you one who trusts in self? You see, for the Hebrew, in the Hebrew culture, they had this problem where they would really judge based upon outward appearance. And as a matter of fact, if you were sick to the Hebrew culture, they believed that that was God's judgment upon you in some way. You can read about the blind man in John chapter 9 and how the religious leaders asked, why is this man blind? Why was he born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin that he was born blind for? Right? And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. He's blind so that God can be glorified through the way I'm about to heal him. Right? 
they judged based upon an outward appearance. Not only that, they revered people who were wealthy and rich. They viewed that as God's favor upon that person, that you were rich or you were well off because God's favor was upon you. And so they tended to judge from an outward appearance, not the way God would by looking at the heart. They judged from an outward appearance. You understand, don't you, that what people show you when they come to this place is not really who they are when they leave? We put on our bright, smiling faces when we come here, don't we? And we can say amen and hallelujah with the best of them. But we really, truly don't know what's going on inside your home when you leave this place. We see the outside, but God is looking at the inside this morning. Look at this picture. Look at this contrast. I want you to see this because this is really what it would truly be like. Okay, now this is a simple picture, but what I'm trying to drive home here is the fact that what we see is what we see what's on the left. You look at people in magazines, you look at people on the television, and they have it put together. And look from the outside looking in, they look like they've got it all together. But God sees them spiritually. And for the most part, many people are walking around the way it looks on the right. Who are you this morning? What do you look like? See, this parable, this parable of Jesus is an important parable because it puts you into the story where you have to test your own heart. Are you the one that is trusting in yourself? This is what my fear is for the church in America is Jesus says it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? And this is just a Hebrew idiom for saying it's impossible. You can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. But then Jesus would say, but with man, this seems like it's impossible. But with God, all things are what? Possible. Okay, here's the thing. In America, you might not consider yourself rich this morning, but you are rich. Look at this map. This is a map of the world, and it shows you where there's proper sanitation, basic sanitation, access to basic sanitation. Do you see, like, almost all of India in that region of Asia, no proper sanitation, or very rare, or, you know, 25 to 50% have sanitation. Look at the continent of Africa, how few people have access to basic sanitation, okay? You think that you're not rich, but you're the rich man, that if you're not careful, are going to be tempted to trust in yourself and rely upon yourself to accomplish what you need to accomplish spiritually when that's never going to work. You realize that less than 10% of the world's population owns a car? Raise your hand this morning if you have a car. And I don't care what kind of car it is. I mean, that car could be messed up, beat up. If you have a car, you're more wealthy than 90% of the world's population. You are the rich man. And it's very possible this morning that you are being tempted, that you're the one being tempted to trust in himself. See, the church is under a self-deception. And there's a, an American evangelist by the name of Paul Washer who once said that the sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than every brothel in America. Why? Because people believe that, well, I said a simple prayer. The pastor gave a call and I said a simple prayer and I asked Jesus to come into my life. And because of that, I'm secure. I'm, I'm good. My spiritual house is in order. But you leave that meeting place, you leave that church, you leave that time where you said that prayer, and your life doesn't change, and you don't change what you believe, you're under self-deception. That prayer does not save you. Jesus saves you. Now, look at this poll. This is 
telling. This Barna poll, that in 2022, Barna did this poll, and it's gauging the biblical worldview. And this one is of parents of teens. Look at this. Because this is why I say this. Because what you believe matters. What you believe matters. Look at this. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, and just creator of the universe who rules the universe today. Born-again believers, 75% of those say yes, not born again, 30%. Okay, you would understand that. The Bible is the true word of God and has no errors. 72% of born-again believers say that. Do you understand that in order to be saved, you have to believe the Bible is God's word? You understand that if somebody says no to that, that they are not born again. Okay, if you read through this list, you can Google this later for the sake of time. We're not going to go through it all. But the point is this, what you believe matters. You can't just say a simple prayer and feel like you're right when you leave this place. It has to change the way you think. It has to change what you believe. This is what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, which is why I suffer as I do. Okay, he's picking it up, this train of thought. I'm suffering persecution. I suffer, but I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I've believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which has been entrusted to me. I believe he can keep that which I've committed to him until the day of Christ. I know who I believe in, Paul says. I know who Jesus is. I know he's the only begotten son of the Father. I know that he is not a created being. I know that, that he was sent 100% God, 100% man in human flesh. I believe that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I believe he went to a cross and died in my place. I believe he rose from the dead three days later, claiming victory over sin and over death. This is the Jesus in whom I believe. I know in whom I believe. Yes, you can praise God for that. See, here's the trouble is that word in the Greek, to know, there's layers of knowledge. It's oida in the Greek, and this is what it means. The first layer of knowledge is an understanding of something. Okay? It's, like, it's like a knowledge. I know that it exists. Okay? The second is a comprehension. Okay? Not only do I know it exists, but I comprehend what is being said. That's a second layer. But there's a third layer, and that third layer is to remember and to honor something. Let me break it down for you like this. How many of you understand that calculus exists? I do. I understand it exists. How many of you comprehend it? Well, I better not put my hand up. Maybe not as many. How many of you actually remember it and honor it? It's like the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up. Man, I can't wait to get into some calculus this morning. Right? We don't do that. But in our knowledge of God, that's the way God wants us to know him. Not just an understanding, not just a comprehension, right? But to remember and to honor him. That's the way Paul honored it. And the reason why he was able to suffer the way he did is because he knew God that intimately. It was worth it. He said this in Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us later. I can suffer today because I know who's coming for me. Amen? Now, here's the other thing. So that's your belief, right? You can't be under self-deception and, and really truly think that just because you said a prayer that you're all right with God, it has to change the way you think. It has to change your beliefs. Your beliefs have to change who God is and what he's done and how you should live your life. That's the second part of this. It changes the way you think, but it also changes the way you live and what you are living for. If people were to pull up your social media accounts today, what would they think you are living for? Who would they think you are living for? What are your posts about? And now I'm not knocking some of the things that are out there, right? 
But what are you posting about? Because, I mean, that's a very easy way to see what you're really and who you're really living for. What is my life given over to? Because if your understanding, if your knowledge of God hasn't changed your beliefs and hasn't changed your lifestyle, then you are not right with God. You can't have an encounter with God and leave in the same sin that you came with. It doesn't work that way. Right? This is what it says in Titus chapter 2. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. If you're still living in the same sin that you always live with, you're just coming to church now, you are not saved. Period. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who falls into sin or has a slip up or makes a mistake and your heart is broken and you're grieved over that. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about that person who comes here and thinks that because you're doing your time, your hour and a half to two hours every Sunday morning, you feel like because you've done your time with God, you can go out and live like the heathen and like the world. You are not saved. God has not changed you. You are not a new creation. And you're under self-deception. See, that's who Jesus is speaking to here. He says, I'm going to share a parable with those who trust in themselves. They think that they're right with God because of their works. Some of you in this room are that person God is speaking to right now. Your life hasn't been cleaned up. Your life hasn't been changed. Look at, continue on this text in Titus. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what we're supposed to be living like. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes the way you think and it changes the way you live. He speaks a parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is a religious term, kind of a big word maybe for some of you, but it basically means who believes that they were upright on their own, that they were in a right relationship with God, that they were living in accordance with God's standard. These people believed that because they kept all the rules, they kept all the feasts, they kept all the dietary restrictions, they washed their hands the right way, they were at all of the right meeting places, because they did all of the right things according to God's law, that they were right with God. But it doesn't work that way, does it? You realize that God doesn't grade on a curve, right? You realize that in order to pass the spiritual test, you have to get 100% on the test. But the scripture says in James that he who has fallen in one area has transgressed the whole law. All of us are guilty before the Lord. None of us are righteous on our own. So there's this trap in the church today of self-deception. I'm right because I said a prayer. But there's also a trap in the world today that says I'm righteous. I'm self-righteous because of what I've done for God. Both are sin. You understand that your works cannot save you this morning, don't you? You understand that God is not waiting for you to give a certain amount or to pray for a certain length of time or to study and memorize a certain amount of scriptures or even give so many days a month in children's ministry. He's not waiting for any of those things. He's just waiting for you to trust him for your salvation. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. It's the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is important, right? You notice that the word works is in here. But in order for you to work for God, 
you first have to be born again. The order is important. You realize, don't you, that dead men can't work? Unless you've been made spiritually alive, unless you've been born again, any works that you do for God do not matter. A dead man cannot work. Only alive men, only men who've been quickened and reborn by the Spirit of God can offer to God anything of value or worth. You have to be born again before you do any works and bring them before the Lord. You see this. Now I'm going to read this verse again. I read this verse often and I'm going to tell you why. But these are the most terrifying verses in all of the scripture in my opinion. And I hope that it causes you to lose sleep if you're not right with God today. Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And we cast out demons in your name, and we did many mighty works in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why do I share this verse so often? because I understand my audience and here within the church there are a lot of people who are in danger of being trapped by the enemy through self-deception and self-righteousness and I know that all across this room there are some amazing testimonies of what God has done bringing people from the pit and delivering people from addiction and life controlling issues and restoring marriages and restoring relationships. I know all across this room people have done that. And I know that there's a lot of people who would have the story when they would come and stand up here this morning and say I thank God that I'm not the person that I used to be. But it's very dangerous that you don't fall into this trap of self-righteousness where you think that just because you're not who you used to be, that you are who you need to be. Let me say that again. It's important that you don't fall into the trap of self-righteous deception by believing that just because you're not as bad as you used to be, that you're really where you need to be with God. Chances are you may not be. If you're trusting in the fact that you're not who you used to be, you're not that old same sinner you used to be, the chances are you're in the boat, you're in the shoes of this Pharisee and his self-righteous attitude. When the sinners walk into the room, you look at him and say, man, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. And you forget that you were that guy. You forget that you were in those shoes. You forget that it was you who was destined for hell until God stepped in and graciously allowed you to accept the gospel. The sanctuary is filled with people who have stories who are a lot better off than they used to be. And the temptation is to be satisfied and pleased with that progress, pleased in yourself. And the moment you become pleased with yourself, you take your eyes off of the dependence that you have on salvation in Jesus Christ. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It says this, that we should examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. That we should test ourselves, or do you not realize about your, this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. That we should test or examine ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, search our hearts today. Am I really truly right with God? Or am I trusting in a prayer? Or am I trusting in my progress rather than trusting in the Lord? Because it was so important that Jesus stopped what he was doing in the midst of his ministering and preaching. And he says, listen, I have a story to tell you people who are trusting in yourselves right now. Why? Because he looked around the room and there were a lot of them. A lot of people trusting 
in themselves. You, you realize one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, don't you? How much better is it for you to stop today what you're doing and search your heart and examine yourselves to make sure that you're right before you go and you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.